I'm Grace. And I'm Madeline. And we are Dragon Babies. Dragon Babies. We reread our favorite YA fantasy classics and discuss why they're maybe even better for adults. Yeah. This week, The Hobbit! The Hobbit! By J.R.R. Tolkien. It's been on the list since we started the podcast. This is a very special episode. This is technically our 50th full-length episode. We have a bunch of little bonus mini babies and stuff, but um, we're very excited to share this with you. This is the book that started it all, man, for me at least. I mean, it's the first fantasy novel I ever experienced. Experienced in any way, shape, or form. I mean, we had fairy tales and little you know, picture books and things like that beforehand. Yeah, but fairy tales this, are all really upsetting, though. This is where we really dove in. Um, so join us, won't you? <laughs> and thank you for all us. your support that got us to this 50th episode. Yeah, guys, thanks. Also in celebration, we have a special guest in the studio today. We have a fan <laughs> and a friend, Jordan. <laughs> Welcome, Jordan. Jordan may, may uh, make some commentary. Get oh. some interjections from time to time. This book was published in 1937, and oh wow! I also you're kidding me. I know <laughs> it's a little wild to think about, especially because in the United States, Tolkien's work didn't gain popularity until, until like the 70s. decades after it was originally right? published. Um, so it was in the 60s that the trilogy, that the Lord of the Rings trilogy, first started becoming really popular. Oh, and that's when Leonard Cohen did the, or not Leonard <laughs> Cohen, Lee. Re- Leonard Nimoy. Leonard Nimoy. <laughs> <laughs> a different deep-voiced man. Bilbo, Bilbo, Bilbo Baggins. Yeah, if you don't know what we're talking about, we'll put a link to that on our website. It's great. On the a share. Episode. Share and enjoy. Um, yes, and the books actually became a part of the counterculture movement in the United States in the 60s because they represented an escape from the values that had kind of been baked into like the American fifties mm-hmm. up until that point. And that, I think that's why my mom likes the little Frodo my mom lives. too. <laughs> oh, no, she's my mom. Grace. Okay. Our mom. That's why our mom likes the little Frodo lives thing. Cause that's what that's from. Right? Yeah. Frodo lives was a popular graffiti graffitum is what's the singular for graffiti. <laughs> Just say graffiti in the sixties and seventies. Um, and it kind of played into those different values that we just mentioned. Yeah. And the freedom to think what you want to think. Like yeah, the smallest person about Middle Earth. Can change the course of the future. That's right. That's from Lord of the Rings, though. <laughs> That's why you're getting me confused. <laughs> so let's... Uh, we're we're going to try to go through our usual segments. Um, but this will maybe be a bit more freewheeling than usual. If this is your first episode, I'd encourage you to go start with a different one (laughs) (laughs) before you keep going forward. Um, so let's discuss our childhood copy of the book. Yes. We'd love to, Um, which sadly we don't have in front of us today, but the cover is, I don't believe it's still in the family, but the way that we first experienced the hobbit was our mom reading it aloud to us every night over a period of it took like two years i want to say to read the entire book because she read it aloud to us as we were falling asleep so she'd have to stop yeah so we'd get in different amounts of story every reading session and the only visuals that we had at the time to establish any characters or setting anything like that was the cover of this edition, which is mm-hmm. one of the most bonkers <laughs> fantasy covers. It's so weird. I feel like I've ever seen. Um, it is the 1982 Ballantine books edition. Um, oh, of course, the Ballantine it, books. It features a painting by Michael Herring, and the painting <laughs> shows a very rotund Bilbo in the foreground. He looks like a guy at a tailgate wearing a wig. (laughs) Why is he at a tailgate? Because he just looks like he's kind of drunk. Like he's like, uh, okay. He's like kind of holding his sword. Like he's clutching his sword and it's like, you know, it is. Grace disagrees with me. Well, no, he's looking over his shoulder as if like, Oh, What's going on back there? Exactly. He looks drunk. Like, he's not re- reacting properly. His eyes are unfocused. Yeah. And kind of I, going off into the distance. No, I totally see it now. And there's this horrifying <laughs> vampiric <laughs> monster. 
Yeah, like, as as Jordan rightfully pointed out, very Nosferatu. Yeah, some strong vampire vibes. No, that's absolutely true. Um, Gollum's eyes are gateways to hell. Yeah, they're horrible. I do think that the artist was concerned with making Gollum look as if he has primarily just been living underground for many, many centuries, which is all we really know about him in The Hobbit. Um, So that's accurate. I I get it. Uh, But his skin is wizened and withered and blackened and why is his nose like that why is his nose (laughs) like that that's a really good it's upsetting question i don't like to look at his nose um and we have uh i I do like the border around the two of them um because it has some dwarvish runes and it has a little crest um and then the caves are peeking out behind them the goblin caves i didn't realize that there there was the dwarven door Gollum is also superimposed behind a layer of stalagmites Um, yeah it looks like he's he's kind of floating in right because (laughs) perspective wise it doesn't make any sense so weird um, but Looks I like do. Bill was just like thinking about Gollum <laughs> fondly. <laughs> Dreaming of Gollum. <laughs> appropriate subtitle for The Hobbit. Much better than and there and back the again. This is the 50th anniversary edition? Yes. Yes, it is. This image really stayed with me and did color my interpretation of the book. Um, until, I mean, the next experience we had with any kind of Hobbit-related visual was the animated film. Yeah. Um, which we uh, enjoyed, also gently mocked um, for the yeah. things that it didn't get quite right. Yeah. Um, also, labors of animation were very different back in the, it was in the 70s that that mm-hmm. movie came yeah, out. Yeah, that movie is old. Um, and... I can't imagine the amount of work that had to go into it. I do remember our one of our babysitters at the time bringing it over and saying that she might have to clo- cover our eyes during, during the spider part. Well, she thought it was too scary. It was Gollum that she thought would scare us too much. She was like, well, this is the part that freaks me out. So I don't know Aww. if children should be experiencing it. So I think you were just thinking of the spiders. <laughs> it's terrifying. <laughs> and we've discussed it before. Madeline has quite a spider phobia. And I'm sure that this book didn't do anything to help that no no it did not <laughs> indeed so well, yeah, okay, i'm not one, gonna go ahead one more quick mm-hmm. thing there uh, if you're talking about hobbit media there's mm-hmm. an excellent game for the ps2 called the hobbit oh yeah um, and i oh that's a fun game love that game it's so fun i totally um, forgot about I it i think that for its time it actually did a really really good job of like d- handling the graphics and the gameplay and everything the way it did um, and it's a really fun game. If you have access to the right system, like, and you can play it, I would highly recommend because it's very faithful to the book mm-hmm. as well. Um, like it's a way to be in the Hobbit. And I actually thought about it a lot when I was rereading this. And you play as Bilbo yes. throughout. Yeah. Um, yeah. Saving remember, everyone's butts all the time. I remember like collecting mushrooms. Yes. Um, you collect the mushrooms and then it's very food focused. As is, is proper. Yeah. A Hobbit protagonist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then there's a long time when you get lost in the goblin caves. You got lost in the goblin caves for so <laughs> you meaning me. <laughs> also faithful to the book. Yeah. I, mean, I think that's very appropriate. So let's discuss our old and new impressions. Okay. Um, you mentioned that this is your first time rereading the book. Well, I read it again when I was like 12 or 13. Because when mom read it to us, I was like five. Yeah, I was in second grade when we started. So, yep. Yeah. That correct. And then uh, I reread it again when I was like, yeah, maybe in like fifth or sixth grade. And I haven't read it since. Cool. I saw the, f- yeah. <laughs> There's a blacklist, and that is the Peter Jackson films. We will not be discussing them today. No, any reference we make to any Peter Jackson films will be to the Lord of the Rings trilogy because, like, that is so important to me and so present in my mind that, like, having these characters makes me think about Lord of the Rings, especially the fact that um, 
Balling ends up as the, the skeleton holding the book. Right. It's his tomb that they encounter in the fellowship. Oh, the okay. Ring. So it's not Balling. It's like, which, which dwarf is it that's holding the book that Gandalf brushes off in the Fellowship of the Ring and says, we cannot get out? Yeah. The dwarf holding the journal is Ori. Oh, because Killy and Feely die. Yes. You know? Killy and Feely die. They are yeah. like the youngest. They like die off ones. screen. It just says like they died defending Thorin with their bodies and their weapons. Well, that's the interesting thing about the Battle of the Five Armies is a lot of it happens while Bilbo is unconscious. Yeah, which I kind of love. <laughs> and I think it's appropriate, especially given Tolkien's attitudes toward war which we'll talk more about that. Like he wasn't trying to, yeah. Yeah, he's not interested in glorifying it. Um, And I think it makes sense that we do stay consistent with Bilbo's perspective, even when he's unconscious during the height of the climax. Okay, so trying to keep us back on old and new impressions. Okay, It's my fault. I was the one that 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 left there. You were correct, too. Also, when I look up Ori's Wikipedia page on lotr.fandom.com, his appearances are listed as in books, Hobbit, first appearance, Fellowship of the Ring, as corpse. <laughs> <laughs> Poor guy. That's a rough IMDb <laughs> page. Corpse billing. Oh, that's okay. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, what was it like re experiencing the book for the first time in so many years? I. I'm trying hard not to cuss. I loved this book. I it was when passions run high, it is difficult to yeah. not let these foul words spill <laughs> forth from our lips. I oh, just love this book. It's so impressive. Um, the the words are so good. <laughs> like all of the words, it's there's no words that aren't good. I also thought just because like we just finished the whole Game of Thrones thing. Um, I kept thinking about how much Game of Thrones and um, George R. R. Martin and then also the show took from... I thought you just called him George R. R. Martin. And George R. Martin. <laughs> <laughs> the ultimate insult. <laughs> no, I, that's not what I said. But I'm the sorry, please go ahead. insult was the three Hobbit movies. Sorry, sorry. We're right there with you. So I thought a lot about how much... I mean, Tolkien is widely regarded as the father of Western fantasy writing. And um, it's very clear to see when you revisit any of his works, like how much has come from him. Um, That's just, that's just that. Um, And I just, I just kept being taken aback by the prose and the songs and just the way that things flow from one to the other. This mm-hmm. is an incredibly fast-paced book. So much happens. Yeah. The plot is stuffed, but it doesn't feel excessive. But it's also very neat. Mm-hmm. It's very well done. Yeah. Yeah, it and is. I think that's really impressive. Um, I like all the choices that he makes. I love the characters' treatment of each other. I think it's, like, super fun. and There's such a joy running through the entire book, even in the darkest moments. Right, and there's that, like, really cute lesson of, like, when Bilbo says near the end, like, if more folk were interested in cheer and good food and, like good company and less in hoarding gold yeah. then it would be a better world. I was like, yeah. I mean, that is the thesis. Proto-socialist. Yeah. <laughs> because we get a really interesting journey with Thorin going from I'm the rightful heir to then I'm gold hungry. Yeah, want and gold. The fact that I just destroyed your entire town by rousing and infuriating a dragon mm-hmm. doesn't mean that I think you deserve any... any. Anything reparations from me, yeah. anything. Um, and he won't even discuss terms, possible terms with anyone. Yeah. Um, so that's no. He's like not great. He's crazed mm-hmm. by the gold. He has gold lust, and he dies. He <laughs> dies for it. Yeah. yeah. And in the end, he does have a moment of like he reconciles with yeah. Bilbo, and he yeah. realizes that he was out of control. Uh, but it all happens <laughs> so quickly. Says to Bilbo, "Look, man, I was out of control." <laughs> Had the gold hunger. Um, so yeah, and I just it it is it's such a and to be I'm sorry one more thing to be fair Bilbo does 
do probably the worst possible thing that he could to take him off, which is to right. steal the <laughs> steal the Arkenstone, like his like beloved his family heirloom, family heirloom, and, and then give it to the elves. But he does it for, in the name of peace. He does, and Gandalf, disguised as an old man, congratulates him for doing. I so. love it when suddenly, like Gandalf is there. <laughs> Thorin says, I wish Gandalf were here so I could tell him that he's a... Then he, like, pops out of a a dusty old pot, like an urn or something, like, ha ha! Your wish is granted! (laughs) And he literally says that! I love it! I also, the description we get of Gandalf in this book, the first visual description is that his eyebrows extend beyond the brim of his hat. Yes! Think about how wild that is! And he's wearing a white scarf, too! (laughs) I just kept thinking about that. Like a nice, a really nice, like, English scarf. I mean, this is a Gandalf of simpler, happier times than the Gandalf of the Lord of the Rings trilogy. And it is really fun to see the early, unweathered, unbeaten versions of these characters that do show up later. And it's it's interesting, too. And are not corpses yet. (laughs) Right, yeah. I kept thinking about this because many of the characters in this book have incredibly long lifespans right so mm-hmm. gandalf is even like the ravens. A demigod yeah the ravens live for hundreds of years which i didn't pick up on that before but i'm into um and uh, like the elf king uh i looked at a map after i finished the hobbit because i had to look at my middle earth map i have a silkscreen tapestry that hangs on my wall so i just pulled it that down that was technically mine yeah i stole it from grace my precious Oh, my birthday present. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and I was just looking like the elf cities are all very close to each other. It's very obvious, even in this book, that the elves are on the decline Mm -hmm. um, because they don't they don't have very much land. There's only three Mm -hmm. elf havens left. Um, And they're also very isolated. Yeah. I think the elves have kind of a catch 22 where it's like we are immortal and we have everything we could need. Mm -hmm. But because of that, they become more internal and don't connect with the other peoples of Middle Earth. Yeah. Um, So how you can't really flourish. Yeah. And okay, so does this book take place about 100 years before the journey in Lord of the Rings? 60 years to me, that's interesting. I kept thinking about it. Like those must have been 60 bad years for Gandalf to be like, you know, this must have been his last like happy type adventure. Mm -hmm. Yep. Exactly. After this, it's really just him going to like cursed corners of forgotten libraries Mm -hmm. and trying to find Gollum, trying to figure out what's going with Sauron. Because I feel like this is him like starting to realize that the darkness is really rising and it's gotten pretty bad. And he's like realizing what this is all working towards because he has like some prophetic stuff he's like a Mm -hmm. god Mm -hmm. yeah and that's why he's always i mean there's a few reasons why he's always popping in and out Mm -hmm. of the main storyline he's got a lot of plates spinning he has a lot to do (laughs) and then also he has to leave bilbo and the dwarves alone in order for them to really have their own heroic acts right otherwise it's just the gandalf bilbo would never rise up and become the true thief right reluctant hero that he is throughout the journey gandalf is really good at uh taking a seat when it's not his time on the floor that's right it's something that a lot uh, of people can uh, take heed of yeah, yeah yeah so does that complete your impressions Oh, it's just such a good book. And, I, we, and we could talk about uh, our feelings. About yeah, I don't, the warmth that I have towards it is it cannot be overstated. Absolutely agree. And like I do have to say, we've talked about this so much on older podcast episodes, but like remembering like the, the three of us snuggled up with mom in her big bed and she would read uh, from the Hobbit to us. And like, she was great at doing like the lofty voices for the dwarves and Gandalf and stuff. Um, Amazing Gollum voice as well. Yes. Yeah. Hi mom. Hi mom. And like, happy birthday. Yeah. Happy birthday. It's my mom's birthday. Woo. Um, just thinking about all of that, that warmth and love, like as my introduction to the, the, yeah, fantasy genre like it's good stuff it's good stuff it's really special it honestly couldn't be more emotional and meaningful yeah and something that we shared together all of us mm-hmm. which is really cool yeah yeah i i asked 
if your impressions were finished because it was a good segue into mine talking about Gandalf's foreboding, oh, something's building. Um, because rereading the book this time for me, the biggest difference was that now I have more context mm. um, <laughs> for the events of the book, but also for the way that it was written. Because something really interesting is that Tolkien actually wrote this before he had figured out what was going to happen in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. So he was seeding, but didn't know exactly how the seeds were going to grow. Right. And actually, a revised edition of The Hobbit came out after it had become more popular and he was ready to publish the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Have you ever Um, read that? I haven't read the original. I don't. Yeah, I think it's probably kind of hard to find at this point, although I'm not sure. But the big difference is that Gollum and Bilbo don't fight and there is an animosity between them because the ring was originally just a ring. When he wrote The Hobbit, he didn't know that it was going to be the one ring or that Sauron was going to be connected to it. Really? Yes. But and it seems so plain and that it's a romancer such... in the book that keeps being hinted at. Is it Sauron? Now it is, I mean, with the trilogy, but originally Tolkien just said, this is just a necromancer because he wrote about the necromancer in the Silmarillion and was a separate, like a totally separate separate character. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's why I'm like going back and forth between like, but I don't like, I don't think it's Sauron, but this, if you're uh, casually reading this, you would definitely be like, oh, that's Sauron. Yeah. So, I mean, so Tolkien did some retconning, but like... That's okay. Everybody does it. Exactly. <laughs> it's pretty natural. And there's a really interesting page before this edition. It is some very um, small type. It is very small. Good God. <laughs> Size six. Dictionary. Um, and at first it says in this reprint, several minor inaccuracies um, have been corrected. Just things about like runes on maps. Um, but then it says... <laughs> Stuff that a lot of people <laughs> noticed and got mad about. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, then it says, more important is the matter of chapter five. They're the true story of the ending of the riddle game as it was eventually revealed under pressure by Bilbo to Gandalf is now given according to the Red Book. In place of the version Bilbo first gave to his friends and actually set down in his diary. So it's saying that Bilbo lied about what happened with Gollum. <laughs> that he like talked himself up. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, and made himself out to be like so cool and just prevail in the riddle game. But actually there was a struggle and it got violent. <laughs> <laughs> um, because Gollum is so connected to the ring, but the ring's power. So Tolkien weren't... just like accidentally created this character that was perfect to have had the Dark Lord's MacGuffin for well, centuries. This is why. And so Tolkien always resisted people saying that his work was allegorical and that it was related to his experiences during World War One uh-huh. and the rise of industrialism right. and trying to bring back the, the countryside and the right. pastoral. Um, and, you know, showing the hobbits as like this last bastion of sort of innocence and utopia. Um, And I think that's because he felt like this just was an entire separate world Mm. that he sort of like stumbled on and then brought to us. Um, And that's really how... Tolkien's work reads he feels I think that makes a lot of sense on this reread he feels like a you know stenographer for like this forgotten land um this completely Mm -hmm. separate history so I understand him resenting people saying like no this is you putting your own experiences into a fantasy escape and this edition also has an introduction from Peter S. Beagle, who wrote The Last Unicorn, oh. um, who's definitely very concerned. Check that with, episode out. Yeah, we have an episode on that book. Um, incredible book. And Peter S. Beagle is very concerned with a lot of the same things that Tolkien is. Mm-hmm. Um, the entire introduction is incredible. I'll put, a, I'll put it up on our website as well so you can read it um, if you don't have this edition, which is the the Ballantine Books, I think, 2001 edition. Um And I'm just going to read a little excerpt of this. Bear with me. For in the end, it is Middle Earth and its dwellers that we love, not Tolkien's considerable gifts in showing it to us. I said once that the world he charts was there long before him, and I still believe it. He is a great enough magician to tap our most common nightmares, daydreams, and twilight fancies, but he never invented them either. He found them a place to live, a green alternative to each day's madness here in a poisoned world. We are raised to honor all the wrong explorers and discoverers, thieves planting flags, murderers carrying crosses. 
Let us at last praise the colonizers of dreams. <laughs> it's like so overwhelming. I can't even, I can't even handle it. Um, so there's wow. like a very strong anti-war, anti-colonialism message there in Peter S. Spiegel's introduction. But I, I that, do think... That was an amazing quote. Yeah, it's really, really, really powerful. <laughs> I know. I know. I yeah, had to take a moment for myself after I read it. I'm and get that uh, tattooed on my face. <laughs> Just kidding. It's going to be great for your legal. <laughs> <laughs> Just let us praise the colonizers of dreams. <laughs> 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 um, so having all that context now, being able to reread this and think about it, it does add to the story, but I can still completely enjoy it on its own level without any of the context, mm. um, which is how you can tell that it is a masterpiece. Yeah. And yeah. I think it can be read at so many different age levels and reading levels um, very comfortably. Get something out of it each time. And I did, I mean, if you're a loyal listener, you know that I really struggle with audiobooks and I just don't do well with paying attention to them. Did you listen to this book? I did, yeah. Because Did I you use the Audible one? No, Scribd, Scribd, whatever it is. Oh, um, shoot. Did I get it the was one? read by Martin Shaw and I really appreciated it. Did he sing? Uh, sometimes Mine sang. he didn't sing every song. Mine was like an <laughs> opera singer. Is. Like he oh. like went in for all the songs and I was so into it. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, yeah, no, mine, he had a wonderful sonorous rumbly British voice. Yes, yeah, um, naturally. Guy. I mean, <laughs> no, he was like the misty mountains cold. <laughs> like I was always like, whoa. <laughs> that uh oh god that just brought back this long forgotten memory of going to church and sometimes there'd be a priest who was a good singer versus a bad singer and you know when they have to do the like little calls before like the god eucharist who takes away the sins of the world <laughs> and sometimes i'd be like oh my the god the lamb of god <laughs> yeah and there was such a vast difference and i always oh, felt bad really for them was. um having to get up there and sing in front of hundreds of people when they may not be when they're obviously tone deaf yeah. yeah and even though they're priests you know they're people too <laughs> even though they're priests they're people too you heard it here first great sorry and that's gonna be the end of our religious <laughs> <laughs> the end of our religious conversation for now um but it was so pleasant to be walking uh, and going on these long walks and runs and things like that. And just having the story of the journey unfold in my ears. Like it's such a, it's such a good storytelling book. It's also wonderful to live in a place like Seattle that's so lush and green and forested mm -hmm. and feels so magical. That's mm -hmm. why I like living here is I feel like there's magic. Like there's literally crows that follow you around and talk <laughs> at you. Well, especially you because you give them peanuts. I am purposefully ingratiating myself, <laughs> but that is neither here nor there. And yeah. it's like, that's why I'm so happy to live here because it, it was just a perfect background setting. Revisiting the book too. I mean, I've always been obsessed with Mirkwood. It's like top five evil fantasy forests in my opinion, even though there are so many good ones out there. Yeah, but Mirkwood like, was it's the original yeah and it i mean it harkens back to evil force from very old like grim brothers and hans christian anderson fairy tales and that's the thing too it i really like what peter s beagle said about like it's not a it's a world that tolkien like laid a path to and mm -hmm. it's true because it is for all points and purposes like a codification of a lot yes. of long like oral tradition and mm -hmm. like really really old stories mm -hmm. and tolkien gathered it all into one place. Exactly. And the way he built these books wasn't by setting out to have a plot that he wanted to explore. It was mm -hmm. by creating this history and all these characters mm -hmm. and this encyclopedic approach to this fantasy world and then picking out the threads of stories within that that he was interested in exploring and yeah. just pulling the details out about. Yeah. Um, yeah, which is why, I mean, why Tolkien is... So brilliant. Um, also, I really just kept, like, I kept turning to Nick and Jordan as well and just being like, this is such a good book. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like, cannot <Yes>. handle. 
And I mean, in homage to the natural Hobbit, we have the windows open while we're recording today. So there's probably going to be some little faint breeze sounds, but. Oh, but perfection. Who wouldn't want a little faint breeze sound? Was was Tolkien the first person to do that attempt, uh, that that style of storytelling? Is that something that all fantasy writers are now try to and the best ones like George R. R. Martin they're Mm -hmm. commended on their ability to do that thing to emulate Tolkin which is is (laughs) he made this world and then there's the characters and like I'm here talking about this Dark Souls video game and the way I'm describing what's so good about its storytelling is the world building is built on how Tolkien built worlds I think he is like uh, the like, I, I think that's part of why they call him the father of fantasy mm-hmm. is that he's the yeah. father of that world building approach. Well, exactly. And now the phrase world building is like almost overused. It's like all anyone It's like is saying ever an open world on. video game. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. It's like if you follow the our fantasy, the fantasy literature mm-hmm. subreddit, every other post is like, help with my world building. World building, world building, world building. Ah! Yeah, I've seen that before. It. But it's all these people who are like, look, here is this this uh, seeker from the knights of this race of this thing. It's like, so what's your plot about, dude? And he's like, no, but the seeker. <laughs> <laughs> but what about the seeker? <laughs> yep, no. And then I think those, a lot of folks, like you mentioned, some who do it less well, they're just not as talented of writers. So mm. they're like, well, maybe right. if I lay the groundwork, Tolkien's it will follow. writing is oh, masterful. To to just appreciate it on its own. Like maybe these mm-hmm. are people, they don't have aspirations of writing a story. They just like creating these details. Yeah, exactly. Cool. And, you know. mm-hmm. But you know, you're not Tolkien. And that can be well suited <laughs> for like working yeah, with Tolkien. a team of people to make something like a video game where you're contributing a piece of it and you don't have to mm-hmm. be responsible for the entire story. Um, and the amazing thing about Tolkien too, is that while there is this incredible framework and history and land, Mm -hmm. the dialogue is also so good. Like the moment to moment conversations and interactions, very funny. I love, they're so funny. Really, really. Everyone is so sassy to one another. And I love the Hobbit because everyone gets to be a bit more lighthearted and there isn't the risk of the end of men and elves and dwarves at hand. Mm -hmm. Um, So everyone could just like chill out and joke around. Yeah. Even when you're captured and even when you spend, did you, did you realize how long the dwarves spend sealed in the barrels? I was worried about them. I know. I was like, there's, there's no way they're all dead. Those are just full of bodies now. And then Bilbo (laughs) opens Thorin's barrel and the description is like Thorin could barely move. Like he was so battered and bruised. Yeah. They shot it with GoPros for some reason. Oh Oh my God. God. I cannot talk about that scene. (laughs) That is, that was the most no. egregious sin no. in any of those films, in my opinion. I, I never saw the third one, so no, me to be honest, we, <laughs> we, we, we boycotted it. Um, yeah, because you think of it as like, okay, they go in the brails and then they go down the river, but you forget that Bilbo lets them do the entire journey to Lake Town before he takes them out. And along the way, he's like getting meals and he's walking around. Yeah. And yeah, he develops a nasty cold, but everyone else is sealed in barrels for days without air or food. <laughs> I can't believe none of them die. I know. It's pretty impressive. That really speaks to the hardiness of the, of the dwarven people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's true. I'm trying to find it. Like, they're all good quotes. I'm looking like in particular for... There's one... I really love how he actually uses exclamation points when he's describing action scenes. Yes. Because like yeah. writers never do that. And if you use them sparingly, it's, it's like it's such an effective It's tool. very effective. Yeah, I yeah. totally agree. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of Tolkien's writing does harken back to a sort of bardic tradition, yes. which you know from yes. all the songs, then the exclamation points really get at that too. It's like a very, um, it's a very Beowulf type approach mm-hmm. to this sort of yeah. Like you story. feel like you're, that's, why it reminds me so much of video games and why video games take so much from Tolkien is because it's a way to really make you feel like you're in it Mm -hmm. you know like Mm -hmm. that's what effective writing does and that's like you know why I play video games that are fantasy RPGs because I want to feel like I'm in it that's where I want to be exactly And I think that's another reason why the ends of Tolkien's books are so heartbreaking because he really details out like everybody going home and things wrapping up. It really feels like you're still following along with them. Then, you know, the door shuts in your face at the Mm. very end. I know you in particular have a great sadness surrounding fantasy endings. endings. Yeah, that's why I don't Um, like them. 
So I do think it's especially poignant in the case of The Hobbit and The Return of the King. Um, okay, so, so what segment? <laughs> what are we doing? Yeah. I have I have a few little uh, Hobbit-related uh, questions and games for us to do. Oh, yay! A very special episode. Yes, this is a special episode. Can I can I read a quote real fast? I yeah, finally please. found the one I was looking for. So you're talking about like the just the impressiveness, the gravity that Tolkien is able to imbue into his words. Hmm. <laughs> Gandalf voice. Gandalf. <laughs> Fire leapt from thatched roofs and wooden beam ends as he hurtled down and passed and round again, though all had been drenched with water before he came. Once more, water was flung by a hundred hands wherever a spark appeared. Back swirled the dragon. A sweep of his tail on the roof of the great house crumbled and smashed down. Flames unquenchable sprang high into the night. Another swoop and another and another house and then another sprang a fire and fell and still no arrow hindered Smaug or hurt him more than a fly from the marshes. Like, that is it. (laughs) This is it. (laughs) Don't even talk to me about other dragons. (laughs) Totally agree. Everything about Smaug in particular is perfection. Smaug is the evil dragon upon which all mm-hmm. lesser dragons would follow. Yeah. Um, I also really... Evil or good. Yeah, exactly. I mean... And Bill just instinctually knows to speak in riddles to the dragon. He's never met a dragon before, but he's just like, okay, this is how I have to play this. Well, he learned from Gollum. That's true, yeah. He did. And Bilbo also still manages to give away that the men of Lake Town are the ones who helped them get there. Um, I, he didn't riddle good enough. I can't believe <laughs> after he leaves and is like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have said that. Maybe I shouldn't have mentioned who my friends were. <laughs> it is, so Smaug is really interesting because the entire book, and I remember thinking this as a kid, like once Smaug is dead, it's like, okay, book over, right? That's it. And, and I remember it, mom reading it and looking at the book and be like, there's a lot more. A lot of book what left. else is going to happen? And it's very realistic that then the the conflict of, well, who gets the spoils turns into this like war. <laughs> when you think about it, the great deed that the dwarves do is just getting to Smaug. Yeah, they don't do they anything else. Arrive. <laughs> and then they just poke and prod and irritate Smaug until he goes and destroys an entire town. Yeah. It's true. And kills a lot of people. Yeah. And the dwarves are all just chilling in the mountain like, oh great, he's dead. It's cool. our gold now. Now we get to take all this. Where's the Ark um, They don't even really interact with Bard in a way that I feel like they should like no, they don't really not show him the sort of gratitude not uh, that I would expect. And Bard has basically been like living his whole life for this moment. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Tolkien totally wasn't commenting on the real world with any of this. Exactly, <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah, there's no undertones of fascism or anything like that. Yeah, um, yeah. Bard is also a beloved character for me. <laughs> He's just described as. What is it? It's like kind but grim. Yeah, kind but grim. <laughs> and I love his name as Bard too. <laughs> and he shoots down Smaug with the black arrow. Yeah. I, I love Bard's appearance. It's like his there's lucky suddenly cigarette. so much mythology that just like clouds up around him, and it's like Bard, and these were this was his father, and this is You're black right. arrow, he and he's like here to kill Smaug. A fog of <laughs> mythology that swirls up around him, oh, which is pretty incredible. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay, let's, so let's play the games. my first question... Wait, can I have the book for a second? Do you need to keep the spot? No. I just, just love that book so much, Grace. Um, okay, so first of all is your favorite song from the book. Um, and you don't need to remember like particular lines or anything. I, I have a few just to get the juices flowing. Um, I have three. One <laughs> is the goblin song about yes! how flesh is destroyed by fire. Yes! <laughs> that just, song is brutal. It's so disgusting. I said out loud, like, oh, and I had to like, stop for a yeah. second when I was listening to it. Yeah. But like fat melting and skin singeing yeah. and everything that was going to happen to them so because they were brutal. trapped up in the trees. Brutal stuff. Um, goblins are gross. I don't think I'll be the first or the last to say it. Uh, but they're upsetting and the goblins of the film trilogy don't have language or like really 
which film interactions trilogy. you were talking about lord of the rings yeah i'm talking about the lord of the okay. rings film trilogy yeah. um they're not shown as like their own thinking race necessarily they're i feel like in the film trilogy the goblins work more like orcs in a lot of ways mm. um but they are their own people and they're very invested in taking these lands um mm. and the hobbit gives goblins more, more room to shine i guess yeah, Grace is like not I, all, not all goblins I, over here. <laughs> I am a goblin. <laughs> I'm proud to be announcing that today. Um, my next favorite song is the song that Bilbo sings at the spiders to irritate them. That's my favorite one. That's my favorite one because he calls them lazy lobs. And um, what's the word that they really hate? <laughs> Wait, I'm like makes them really angry. Aragogans or something. Yeah, it's. I think it's like a. Uh, oh, Addercob. <laughs> Addercob. What? what is that? Addercob. They were frightfully angry. Quite apart from the stones, no spider has ever liked being called Addercob. And Tom Noddy, of course, is insulting to anyone. <laughs> So oh, it's so cute. So great. Um, he also calls them lazy lobs and crazy cops. <laughs> Bilbo, queen of spider yeah, insults. I know. Bilbo is really kind of poetic in his darkest moments. Like I feel like there's this side of him that comes out. That's that's another thing. When he opens that's Bilbo. When he opens Thorin out of his barrel and Thorin's like barely alive and groaning and falling onto the ground, Bilbo's like, Well, are you in prison or aren't you? Right. Like, did I set you free or not? <laughs> Shut up, Thorin. Would you rather be dead? <laughs> He's and I get that he has this like running resentment throughout the entire thing because he really he didn't want to go <laughs> wasn't meant to be on this journey like he is a hobbit after all um then my last favorite song is the pushing wine barrels into the river song Grace, that's my <laughs> other favorite song i love it uh the elves of <sighs> the hobbit are very different elves than the elves that we get in the lord of the rings they really books. are um, the mirkwood elves yeah yeah the mirkwood elves are their own special They're weird category and yeah. of course in my you know middle earth dungeons and dragons fantasy mm. i would be a wood elf yeah. living in mirkwood um i'm not so grim as to be a rivendell elf <laughs> Well, the Rivendell, the Rivendell elves are pretty jolly in The Hobbit as well. They are, yeah. And um, Elrond is described as like the fairest of face. And I'm like, all I can think of is Hugo Weaving's face. Hugo Weaving yeah. is not an ugly man. No, but he's, but not, he's not like, fairest a, like a beautiful uh, elf lord. He's more of like a very stern elf uncle. Yes. A lot of, a lot of <laughs> angles going on, sort yeah. of like a hawkish kind of face. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Whereas I do think the other elves cast in the films look more like the elves of the books, yeah, I would say. I like think you're right. Galadriel, um, Thranduil. Caliborn. Caliborn. Yeah. Yeah. The elves, yeah, the elves of Mirkwood are folks that I just, like, want to hang out I know. With. They seem, like, so much fun. And yes, they imprison the dwarves for quite some time, but that's because they simply won't tell them what they're up to. Yeah, the dwarves are being hella sneaky. And Thranduil's like, you're in my Wait, kingdom. Wait, can I say hella? Just tell me. No, oh, whatever. They're, they're they're being so sneaky. So sneaks, much sneaks, much sneaking. Okay, next question is: I love the barrel rolling song. It's I love so the barrel great. rolling like, song. They're so, so much. jolly. And there's like some drunk elves. Yes. The most of the elves are like, ah, like, got drunk you on the king's special at the bottle. <laughs> <laughs> A drunk elf is something I'd like to see. Yeah, um, and the brew is. Or the brew, the vintage the brew. is an especially heady one that was like intended only for the king, which is why it got them so I guess drunk. The king has like the best drinking tolerance of any elf. Well, with elves, they all take a lot of alcohol to right. get yeah. under the table, which is referenced again and again throughout yeah. the books, uh, the, throughout Tolkien's work. Um, it's probably more yeah. like vermouth than wine. Ugh. Grace doesn't like vermouth. Anyway, no, I love vermouth, but just chugging vermouth does not sound very good to me. My next question is, um, I'd like for us both to offer up our best Gollum voices. And this is not a recreation of movie Gollum. This is personal okay. creative choice. Then I need edition. to be able to read a line. That's what I was going to grab. Uh, I did notice a lot while I was reading this, too, how much of the Hobbit's lines they took and used in Lord of the Rings. Yes, word for word. Which was interesting, yeah. Yeah, Fran Walsh and Philippa Boyens, the screenwriters, mm -hmm. um, pulled from all of Tolkien's works about mm -hmm. Middle Earth. Yeah. yeah, which I mean, it was smart. Mm -hmm. um, 
You have to go first. Okay. <laughs> are you gonna, this is yeah, like are you gonna be able to? <coughs> Where is it? Where is it? Last it is, my precious last, last. Curse us and crush us, my precious is last. Gollum. Gollum. <laughs> Your golem is adorable. <laughs> yeah, just I Oh, get on the mic. Golem. Let's hear it. <clears throat> There's a few lines on that page if you want to pick one. <laughs> okay, it's just funny to even try to read those lines. <laughs> no, not yet, precious. <laughs> we must search for it. It's lost, column. But you never answered my last question, and you promised, said Billow. Never guessed, <laughs> said Gollum. <laughs> What has it got in its pockets is? Tell us that, it must tell first. <laughs> Your golem is so mischievous. <laughs> He's been like hanging out in that cave just waiting for someone to talk to. <laughs> Try and trick. Oh my gosh, that's great. All right, Jordan, oh, hop on. You, yes. I feel like it's, it's been so long since. since I, golem, it's all good. I there's no, there's no judgment here. <laughs> it's hard to do. I know. <laughs> Never guess. <laughs> <laughs> Gollum. Uh, um, no, I don't have this anymore. What has it got in its pockets? Is tell us that. Gollum. It's so bad. Yay! I love it. Gollum. <laughs> I feel it's it's about as good as my Borat would be these days. <laughs> you know, it's you get oh, rusty. Man. No, that was great. That's great. That's great. Oh, Yay. Yay! Oh, thank you. I love everyone's golems. <laughs> that was fun. Yeah, yours was adorable. <laughs> That's the great thing about Gollum. You know, he has a lot to offer. Like he has many different, <laughs> <laughs> many different it's shades. Exactly. For everyone, for That's you know, in my like dream reality and all the different parallel universes, Gollum was played by a variety of different actors. Of different, that, was, like, that was the one good scene in all the trilogy. Yes. The, oh yeah. The Hobbit the was yeah. Riddles in the Dark. I loved it. it. Absolutely. Hard on the mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It, it, like, it, it, it was actually good. This, well, it was his own little mini movie. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, it was just two really good actors, like mm-hmm. sparring, and like they had already laid all the groundwork for how good Gollum looked in the trilogy of the Lord of the Rings trilogy and they just like piggybacked off that using modern CG and Gollum looked amazing mm-hmm. um, and yeah. him and Martin Freeman were just like they just went to town with it and that short film would watch again that 11 minutes I know <laughs> if only that was all we got yeah <laughs> yeah I would have been happier just like interpretations on the scene right yeah <laughs> yeah okay great that everyone, was, that everyone was great. did an awesome job I really enjoyed that Gollum-ing uh, okay um, my Next question is, how would you use the One Ring? In The Hobbit or in The Lord of the Rings? Like, what in, era am I in? You know, just in life. It can be serious or frivolous. It can be serious or frivolous. You would definitely use it like Bilbo does. I think you would do the same so thing Bilbo does. I would definitely. <laughs> or, like, I got in a fight with my neighbors on the 4th of July, so I would have put the ring down and then, like, aimed the rockets at their windows instead of mine. They were shooting fireworks. <laughs> the way you say that makes it sound like oh yeah, they were trying to blow us up. Yeah. no, no, they were they were <laughs> shooting off you. bottle rockets under our balcony. And they were hitting our windows. So I would have like gone down and you know grabbed. You, you could have done. You could have put the ring on and then just done scary Bilbo face at them. Hey, that's you. That moment really messed me up. Yeah, totally. no, that's a good that idea. Like I could flash on and off. Like <laughs> I would use it. For that. I'm over here. <laughs> now I'm over here. <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely. Um, I would like make little cakes and stuff float around in the air. <laughs> like, <Harry> ooh. <laughs> where are the little cakes coming from? No, like I would go to the. I'm saying I would use it to steal cakes. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. In front of people's face. Yep. I've already turned to illicit ends. I, I mean, I do love just how often Bilbo uses the ring for 
is own fun or to like spook yeah. people. Um, can and, you imagine um, how easy it would be to avoid people you don't want to talk to if you can just turn yourself invisible? Like I would literally just be walking down the street and I'd see someone and be like, eh, and then I'd just slip the ring on and so <laughs> disappear. In, in The Hobbit, is mm-hmm. there no, there's no additive negative element right. to using the right, ring, right? exactly. That's, that's why I'm going that really to the Hobbit. Tension in Lord of the Rings is that any moment that he has to use this, that Sauron is worse for him. right because yeah. in the Lord of the Rings, Sauron has come back to power, so the Nazgul are actually actively hunting right, the ring. Yeah, 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 exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, whereas at this point, it's just like, oh, yeah, the ring's out there. I don't know. Um, we do get the hint of um, the line about Gollum initially always wearing the ring, but mm-hmm. then it tiring him, yeah. so he puts it on when he can, yeah. um, but has to keep it hidden away most of the time. Yeah. Um, but then if I were And in, I wonder how much of that was retconned, too. Yeah. yeah. I mean, but if I were in um, the Lord of the Rings universe, I would cast it into the fire, destroy it. And so Elrond would be like, Isildur, and then I'd be like, the Madeline! <laughs> are you sure? Because you are a human. And the book seems pretty... None of, yeah, none of, yeah, none of the humans manage... But here's the thing, though. Here's the thing, though. Aragorn won't even take it. They were all men, though. really nailed no this down, because I am no man, and he constantly says the hearts and minds of men. Men. That's <laughs> men. <laughs> what I was meaning to say And we have is, to talk about Eowyn, because there's literally zero women in this entire <laughs> book. <Okay. Yeah. laughs> literally no one. My, I'm going to pick one of the horses <laughs> for my badass lady, because I'm assuming that maybe one one of them one was of the ponies. female. Yeah. Um, Sturdy ponies. Or maybe we could pretend that one of the dwarves was a woman and she was just like under wraps like in Mulan or Terry Pratchett. Dwarf women are difficult Notoriously to distinguish, difficult from, to distinguish dwarf from dwarf men. That's true. Although all the important ones are men because the women don't get to be important. Yeah. Anyways, so I would cast the ring into the fire and then I would go back and like me and Elrond would high five and he would look so much less stressed. He looks so stressed all the time. Of and course. He would, he would look so much less stressed if I just went well, like, yeah, it's the regret that he'll carry with him for all eternity. And then <laughs> I'll... not just, just doing really it in that moment. I'm just yeah. like shooting it, it's sealed around the back. And then, you know, we would go to an elf party together and I would like get to meet lots of elves and he'd be like, yeah, Madeline threw the ring in. <laughs> yeah. But then uh, no one would ever learn the importance of hobbits. Maybe I am a hobbit in Lord of the Rings. Oh, okay. Well, then you could totally throw the ring in. We could do pretend food now? Yeah, let's do it. Let's go back to... Pretend food, pretend food. Let's go back to some regular segments and get into the pretend food. Um, Honestly, just do a hobbit. Oh, God. Oh, dear. (laughs) They want to make, yeah, boil. It obviously would have been delicious. They were, like, really excited about it. Oh, yeah. It would have been great. For a troll. Do you have the scrum quote? Um, Scram? Cram? Cram. Crom. Crom. Scumble is what I'm trying to say, um, which oh, is also from Pratchett. Scumble from Discworld. I'm looking up Crom. It, yeah, it's it's a biscuity type um, food. So it's it's kind of a long... Biscuity type? Biscuity type food. Like, so it's, it's it a dough? Long, no, it's along the lines of... Um, Hardtack? Uh, lembus bread? Lembus, yeah. It's along the lines of lembus. It is a hungry book. It falls under that They're category. They're so hungry. They literally have to tighten their belts. Again and again. The and they're t- dwarves. They love eating. <laughs> and Bilbo's a hobbit. And he loves eating too. He loves eating even more, I'd have yeah. to say. Um, the time they spend in Mirkwood without food is rough. Is pretty messed up. But then in all of the settings that they're going to, like Bjorn, the elves of uh, Rivendell, the elves of Mirkwood, like they're getting special foods there. But then in between, there's long, hungry periods. And their ponies are always disappearing. Yeah, their ponies are always <laughs> getting horribly killed and eaten. Like, the ponies are pretend. The goblins eat their ponies. Yeah. The dragon eats their ponies. I know. Poor little pones. I feel really bad for those ponies. Um, we should talk about Bjorn's bees and his honey. His honey. And, like, his food is the most attractive to me. There's so much that's appealing about Bjorn's house to me. Like, mm. truly, like I said, I want to live in Mirkwood, but it, it, realistically, if there was like a place that I myself would want to go and just exist in Middle Earth, it would probably be like Bjorn's garden. Like, mm. just his home is so lovely. His house sounds so wonderful. Yeah. Like, it. Very isolated, but. 
great. If you can talk I don't even to have wolves. to use the ring. <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> I don't have to avoid any visitors if I don't There's have no any visitors. You're on the edge of the waste. Yeah. There's not a lot going on. But yeah. it is very beautiful there. And the, the food and drink he gives them sounds amazing. Um, there's also, I mean, there, there's it's like, a, it's like a lot of, um, you know, just kind of long-term supplies. The it's food interesting the because the food is not very Except for Bilbo's feast at the beginning. Described, which is right. His feast is well described. But the, another great song when the dwarves are singing about destroying all Bilbo his dishes. Hates. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're just messing up his whole deal. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the food is not super specific. It's more of a feeling of like good, warm survival food. Yes. And then being exactly. threatened to become food as well. <laughs> as as one does. Squash a sit to jelly. <laughs> So as we mentioned, there's not much we can do for badass lady painter. And this is something that we didn't discuss during this episode because we're just focusing on like good nostalgia and warm feelings. But like it is messed up that there are no women in this book. Right. There's you could do an entire thesis. And people on, have, you know, there's yeah, not much we can add. To right. That that's, conversation. that's kind of the thing. If yeah. you and I mean, I feel like our opinions will be like you can easily guess them. Like, obviously, we would not like to I hate women. Get them out of my book. Women in this book. Um, we're kind of, I know it's not the best, but we're in this discussion. We've kind of just glossed over it because we wanted to talk about all the things that we love about this book. Obviously, the, there are issues. Um, but as Grace said, since they've been so expertly discussed by people who know a lot more about this than we do, Read their words and we will choose to elevate those voices. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is it is stunning. There is not even a woman mentioned in passing, I, yeah, much less I on the page. I don't think there um, is. I think the most we get is the mention of elf maidens at one point, like being a part of a group of Merkwood elves. was married to a woman and had children, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I was just wondering, like, yeah, briefly, like... Like, why does he care so little about women? I think it's much more the the world that he grew the up in. tradition that he's also telling the story after, where, like, yeah. the men are the adventurers, and they're the ones that the songs and, and tales are being made about. So this all happens outside the women's sphere of the home. Right. So therefore, women are it's not It's not mentioned. where they exist. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we do have, we have a woman warrior in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. One. One. <laughs> Um, and then characters like Galadriel, um, who are and fascinating Arwen. and very compelling. Yeah, Arwen's honestly not in the books very much. Yeah. Um, but uh, she's more of like a peripheral. Yeah, she shows up yeah. from time to time, and Aragorn's like, "Oh, if only love. I could be with you, but I must do the responsibility." So I anyway, have a responsible. If you want a detailed discussion of feminism and fantasy and strong female characters, listen to any of our other episodes. Yeah, this is kind of like the 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 exception rather than the rule here. Yeah, but we appreciate you. What are you, who are you doing for your badass lady? I feel like Spider has a strong. Uh, feminine um, rage. Smaug. When it comes to uh, yeah, sorry, Smaug. Smoke. People, people taking his stuff. <laughs> well, yeah, he's like trying. She, if I'm uh, uh, giving the badass lady title to her feminine side, she just can't. She tries so hard her whole life, and she can't carve out enough space for her because people won't allow it. It's true. And Smaug is particularly frustrated just that people are even like trying to disrupt. Yeah, her. it's like I have my own thing going on. Why are there a bunch of dudes in here? Touching my. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. It's fine. I'll bleep it. <laughs> <laughs> so. The episode's gotten pretty messy. <laughs> where, where did Smaug's, Smaug's gold come from? From oh. a variety of different lands, which is why also, everyone shows up at the end and is like, some of that's mine. Right. Because Smaug has just been taking Hoarding. from a variety of different peoples so and towns. Have some sort of like webbed claw hand. <laughs> She can like pick all the gold. <laughs> yeah, Smaug. I Smaug making ret- return trips, and they're just like, "Crap, she's back again for more of our gold." Yeah, because it's over like 
centuries, right. yeah, that the horde is built um, and that Smaug spends laying on it and like encrusting everything into her belly. Yeah, that's we're, we're doing some retconning of our own now. <laughs> Smaug is lady, Smog and I'm also retconning that at yeah, least six glamorous. of the dwarves are women, <laughs> including Feely and Keely, who literally die for their leader. <laughs> Okay, I mean, that was good and passionate. I was just going to say, like, a spider. I don't know. <laughs> so, yes, Shalob is a wonderful character. Um, so, yeah, my, my badass lady is all of the women that I have just retconned into this book. Bjorn is a woman, I've just decided as well. Great. Okay, and with that, Thank you for listening, everyone. That concludes this very special 50th anniversary <laughs> edition of The Hobbit, 50th episode of Dragon Special Bridges. edition, The Hobbit. Thank you very much for listening, everyone. We appreciate it. And we appreciate you, we our do. listeners. We do. If you, and thank you, Jordan, for being here. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Hi, Jordan. Hello. <laughs> Um, if you would like to get in touch with us, request a book for us to cover, get feedback. We love it when you guys request books because then we don't have to think about what we're doing next. True. We just pick one off the list. Let us know what character in The Hobbit you think could be female identifying. Um, you can contact us. Who you'd us. like to retcon like as female. You guys should talk about the Broken Earth trilogy, a new work of science fiction fantasy that is very Amazing. I think we just got our first on-air listener request. That's pretty exciting. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you, Jordan. (laughs) Um, You can get in touch with us on our website, dragonbabiespodcast.com. You can email us at dragonbabiespodcast at gmail.com or on Instagram at dragonbabiespodcast and on Twitter at dragonbabiespod. And we will be back soon with our next episode, The Dark Angel by Meredith Ann Pierce. So that will be another Pierce, another Pierce to love. That's not Tammy. We should do another Tammy book. We just did. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. We're going to go now. I'm Grace. And I'm Madeline. Until next time. Goodbye. Goodbye.